Hi, before we started the show, I just wanted to let you know that the movie we discuss in this episode has some pretty graphic depictions of violence and also a general air of sexual menace, so please use your best discretion before deciding to watch it. The World Wide Web has long been host to copied and pasted stories of an apocryphal nature. These stories came to be known as Copyvasta, and then the creepy variant emerged. Welcome to Creepypasta, the Creepypasta podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Jeff. I host it. This episode, as you know from the title in your um, pod thing where you keep your podcasts, that one is about the 2019 Netflix original film, The Perfection, starring Allison Williams, directed by Richard Shepard, starring Logan Browning, starring Stephen Weber, released by Miramax. Uh, it came out at uh, on May 24th, 2019, so you're hearing this like two weeks after release. Uh, to despite premiering in September at Fantastic Fest. That's pretty crazy. Uh, this is described by Wikipedia as a horror thriller. I think that would be fair to say. Um, I would put it firmly in the genre of um, fast-paced erotic crime thriller. Um, with me to talk about it is past guests and world-famous illustrator Leah Patterson. Hello! So, Leah, tell me about this movie, please, while I look up more information about it on my telephone. Um, want me to tell you about it, like the plot? Yeah, let's like, let's <laughs> let's run through the plot. The plot was extremely confusing. Um, yes, it wasn't. It wasn't confusing in a way where at the end I was like, I don't understand what the fuck just happened. But it was like as I was watching the movie, I kept being like, Oh, this is what this movie is about. And then I would be like, No, actually, I was yeah. wrong. Uh, you'll be happy to know that it was directed by the same guy who directed that Kid President episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, good. I <laughs> have avoided that episode because I hate episodes of sci-fi shows that are about the fact that we elect people who should be in charge. Yeah. Um, I think actually this week's, like, the episode that released two days ago as of this release of Hack the Net, Matt talks about how uh, a lot of the things in that episode are just direct quotes from the 2016 presidential campaign. Yeah, I hate that. That makes me <laughs> so upset. There's that episode of Black Mirror where they elect that electronic bear or whatever, God. and I remember getting upset when well, I was watching though. it. And then it happened. Yeah. Um, oh, man, but what about that first episode where the prime minister has sex with a pig and then we found out that that really happened? That is the hardest first episode of any <laughs> show because every time I recommend that show to someone, they watch the first episode and they're like, like I don't think it's for hell? me. I recommended it yeah. to my parents and my dad called me the next day and was like, Leah, that was horrible to watch. We're not going to watch any more of this. But he did it. The actual prime yeah. minister at the time did that in college in real life. That was not, not on purpose, though, right? On the part of the creators? There, there is actually some debate as to whether the creators knew about uh, like that. Like, through the grapevine yeah. somehow? Um, I think that there's, like, a solid chance that, um, what's his face? Who's the guy? Charlie Booker or something? Knew a guy who knew a guy? Who's the guy who makes Black Mirror? I have no idea. <laughs> He's a famous man. I think it's yeah. Charlie Booker. I don't know name. anyone's name. Um, anyway. This movie. So this movie is 
about a the, the main character is a woman who was a child prodigy cellist who had to quit the cello in order to take care of her ailing mother. When the movie starts, um, her mother has just passed away. Spoiler alert that happens in the first five minutes. And she decides to reconnect with the people who basically raised her to be a successful cellist. Uh, her name is uh, Charlotte something. Yes. Charlotte something. Yes. Played by Allison Williams she of goes Girls to, and Get Out fame. She had attended this crazy art school um, when she was younger that was for some reason just some guy's house where he housed underage girls and um, also lived there, which is not how real art boarding schools work at all. You oh, I guess we should also warn you that we're going to get pretty deep into spoilers. Um, yeah, so if sorry. You, no, that's a, if you've listened to this point, um, nothing has been spoiled for you yet, but if you continue to listen, we're going to tell you about all of the twists and turns, so go take 90 minutes, uh, eat yourself a half a pizza, and watch the movie. Um, anyway, back into it. Yeah, yes. Steven Weber is the head of this thing, and his character's name is Anton? Thanks. Right? Um, so, my alarm bells went off as soon as we found out that it was like, he and his wife just for some reason are allowed to run this school, because I went to a boarding school for the arts, and it's never just like a married couple like who's that. like, yeah. we have like indentured servants that we forced to play instruments. Um, so, Allison Williams' character decides to reconnect with these people from past, um, and one of the people that she ends up connecting with is the woman who was basically the prodigy took over after she had to abandon Cello. Yeah, Elizabeth Wells, a.k.a. Lizzie, capably played by Logan Browning, who I think is like a newcomer to, to the cinema world. I feel like I've seen her once or twice. She has a Wikipedia article. Uh, she is known for playing Sasha in the 2007 film Bratz the Movie. Alright, that's not. Um, oh, sh- I think it looks like her biggest role to date has been the uh, PlayStation exclusive adaptation of the comic book series Powers. Oh, and um, the Netflix version of Dear White People. That's where I've seen her. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, at first, it seems like Allison Williams' character, whose name is... Charlotte. Charlotte. It I, seems like... like, while watching the movie, kept it, I, they would say her name and I would immediately forget what her name was. <laughs> <laughs> she seems to be extremely jealous at first glance, um, which is to be expected when you're in the arts and someone well, at so first, good at things. At first glance, she seems to be, like, totally stoked to be getting back into this world and, like, mysteriously attracted to this new young cellist. Yeah, and then and they... And then it seems like she's very jealous Well, afterwards. I don't know. It seemed like she was jealous at first, and then they, like, started talking, and it seemed like she was like, oh, she's actually pretty cool. I want to mm. fuck her. And yeah. then, like, that happens. Um, and that's kind of where things start to go off the rails. Yeah, this all is happening in Shanghai at a um, big, like, concert that they're doing. And some dude throws up, like, yellow liquid and falls over. And gets a nosebleed. Yeah, he's having a bad time, and they're like, oh, there's a mysterious uh, sickness going around in the South. I hope that it doesn't get here. It's like an airborne virus. Yeah. Um, So then they decide uh, they're going to go on vacation together immediately. um, And they go on a tour of the Chinese countryside, I guess. Are they Mm -hmm. specific? 
specific about the location? I don't think they were. No. Well, they're going to the west. Okay. Is what we, I think. I guess, I think yeah. it's the west. Okay, it's a real journey to the west. Um, Allison Williams plays the Monkey King. Um, I don't know any of the other characters from Journey to the West, I'm sorry. I didn't know that that was a movie. Oh, it's a very famous Chinese novel. Dragon Ball is based um, on it. That's why he has that tail and flies on I that I also cloud. have never seen Dragon Ball, so I'm <laughs> Well, <laughs> uh, what other things are based on Journey to the West? Lots of animes, I guess, and that's about yeah, it. Yeah, I won't be able to help you nope. there. Uh, um, they wake up with really bad hangovers after they hook up, so they take some, uh, well, Allison, I cannot, Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. Charlotte gives... Charlotte Wilmore. I just remembered. I didn't even have to look. <laughs> Charlotte gives Lizzie some ibuprofen. They, uh, they Lizzie. Drink Lizzie. I said Lizzie. Oh, I thought you said Lucy. Lizzie. Okay. <laughs> I have a list. Um, gives Lizzie the I- some ibuprofen, uh, they drink a little bit more, and they get on a big old school bus looking thing. Yeah. Um. It's a real magic school bus. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's obvious that they like just talked to someone and they were like, we need to get there the cheapest way possible. We want to do it the right way, you know, in the way that tourists often do. Yeah, it's um, like the original, the the homeland version of the Chinatown bus yeah. that will take you to Boston yeah, for five exa- bucks. Yeah, exactly. Um, they jump on the bus um, and Lizzie is extremely hungover. She does not feel good. She keeps talking about how her brain feels like it's on fire and her stomach hurts really badly. I was really impressed with how the actress was able to like look sick. Like mm-hmm. they did a really good job. She looked like a different person yeah. in the like hangover scenes. When she was talking about how sick she felt, it made me want to die. Like the entire time I started like <laughs> feeling like maybe I had a hangover yeah. for some reason. Like she played it so well that I could feel it in my body how disgusting she felt. And then the, the fact that she got on a crowded bus and was planning on taking a trip out to the countryside in a foreign tree just made me so sick. It made me feel so ill. And then we get to a scene that I I would classify as so tense that it was actually comedic, but I didn't want to laugh out loud because I felt like that would have ruined the movie for you, Um, where (laughs) she feels like that she's very badly going to poop in her pants, and so she's begging the bus driver, who does not speak English, to stop bus so she can get off. she keeps yelling, I'm gonna shit. I'm gonna shit. <laughs> it's it's like like when you have a nightmare and then later you realize the nightmare was very funny, except because it's happening in a movie, you can realize right away that's very, that it's very funny in addition to it being terrifying. I do feel like she sold the panic of knowing that that was about to happen though. Like being like, I am in an enclosed space. Yep. I am about to shit my pants. I yep. cannot, this cannot happen. It was like, if you were with your friend and that was happening, you would probably have to like hold back a little bit of laughter just like a little <laughs> yeah. bit just like the littlest bit of like this i can't believe this is happening right now yeah they do get her off of the bus um and then the shame walking back on after um losing uh out of every hole possible all of the liquid and uh food in her body um it's like not too graphic we just see like the tail end of it um but she like is crawling back like not crawling but like barely the slow yeah. like Sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. The, like, shame walk back on after you have very bad diarrhea in a place where you then have to be around all the people who knew that you were about to and currently have very bad diarrhea. Uh, is so tense and, like, very good scene. Then it gets really, um... Bizarre? Yeah, stuff gets strange.
strange. They have, they, she, like, throws up again on the bus, and Charlotte is like, what's in your barf? Is that bugs? Um, this, the camera pans over, and there's a pile of vomity maggots yeah, all the, over. The vomit is just, like, all bugs. It's the same yellow vomit we saw earlier. So um, I want to just check in at this point. I want to say, the movie started, and I thought it was kind of a black swan movie. Yeah. And at this point, when she throws up, and there are bugs in her vomit, and we've seen that guy vomiting at the concert, I'm thinking, okay, cool, this is a contagion. Yeah, and I've already, I already saw the trailer, so I, I recognized what this was all leading to, mm-hmm. and I did not, um, I'll, I'll say, don't see the trailer if you're planning to watch this movie. I agree. Um, uh, and you, this is like last chance before we get into the deep spoilies, um, I think. Uh, but, like, the trailer was all leading up to this scene, so there's that tension as well of, like, you know you're waiting for the, like, iconic scene from the trailer to happen, which, uh, I'm, like, fascinated by the art of the trailer is, like, that new Avengers came out and all of the trailers for it were all all the footage was taken from the first, like, 15 minutes of Mm -hmm. the movie. And, like, it made it there were, like, a couple shots that were from later, but they made it seem like, ooh, we have a plan, we're gonna go get Thanos and then, like, that that's just, like, the first 10-15 minutes. (laughs) They just, like, go get him and then the rest of the movies about something else um and this one but this one is like the the iconic shot of the trailer happens halfway through the movie and there's like one shot from near the end of the movie um and so they stop the bus again and they kick them off yeah they kick them off she's screaming at this point she's she's vomited over the window she's like yelling about how like she her brain is on fire okay all right fire truck. She's she's yelling about how her her brain is on fire and they just they pull over and the bus driver physically pushes her off the bus. He grabs her and drags her off the bus. Yeah. Um, and then uh she keeps saying like there's something inside me and then um Charlotte's like look at that. What's that in your arm? Is that bugs under your skin? Um and then we see like bugs burst out of her arm mm-hmm. and start crawling all over and there's like spiders in her vomit. Ugh. Um and then it's going back and forth like this. And then Charlotte says, you know what you have to do, and pulls out a big cleaver. Just out of nowhere. Like, yeah. the, the way that it's shot, we don't even see the cleaver come out of the bag. We see her arm go out of the shot, and a cleaver pop up yeah. in the frame, which is, it's done so well, because I feel like at that point in time, you're just supposed to be like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, like, what's why, real why does she movie? have that yeah. in her hand? Why, where was that? Um, and then we see, it's implied that Lizzie cuts her hand off. She takes it. Yeah, we see her lift it up and it cuts away exactly at the point of, like, contact. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like the best vines. It cuts off right when the bad thing happens. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts back to the school, right? Um, yes, it cuts back to the school. Um, we don't see Lizzie or Charlotte. Oh, right, they're accepting a new student yes. named... It's a Chinese name, and I don't speak Chinese, so I don't know the, uh, name or how it should be said. I'm gonna look it up. Um, Anton and his wife, whose name I'm also Paloma. Oh, they were just kids at the parks yelling Paloma over and over again. Yeah, they must have watched (laughs) this movie. They must have watched this movie this weekend. Um, they have accepted a new student from Shanghai, right? Yeah. They are in the beginning. Um, and they, her mother is dropping her off, and her mother just is so incredibly excited to have given her daughter this chance. Zhang Li is the daughter's name. Okay. Um, and she drops her off, and we see the mother driving away, and Anton comes up behind the girl and puts his hand 
hand on her shoulder, and there's just this slight moment. I feel like, at least for me, this was the first moment in the movie where I started to have dread about the school itself. I thought that this was a movie that was specifically about the two main adult female characters. And when it jumps back to the school, I'm immediately like, there's definitely another layer that I'm not seeing here. Yeah, I thought that the movie at this point was going to be a revenge movie where Lizzie goes get it gets back at Charlotte. Yeah. Well because the, the, the thought process is she wooed her and she drugged her and forced her to hallucinate so that she could take off her arm because she was jealous that she could play the cello so well. Yeah. Right? Because that's how these movies work. That's how it works when you have two characters who are good at the same things and one of them is successful and the other one is not. Uh-huh. Um, um, especially if it's a movie about two women who do the same thing. Oh part. yeah. That's exactly. almost always a compi- com- com- competition. Right. Um, so at that point, it was like it went from me being like, this is a Black Swan movie, to this is a Contagion movie, back to this is a Black Swan movie. And then I accepted that. Um, it does end up being a revenge thriller, but not in not the way no, that we yeah, thought. Yeah, at all. Um, so they so they talk to Anton and Paloma, like they see Lizzie, she's back. And she's missing her hand, and she's got a real hangdog look about her. It's implied at this point in time that she's missing for a few weeks, because they keep saying, we've been looking for you, where have you been? Um, when Anton sees her, at first, it seems like he is excited that she's alive, and then as he approaches her and realizes that her hand is missing, his reaction goes from, like, the shock that you would expect to almost anger. No. He starts yelling, "Where? The, what the fuck happened to your hand? In a way that doesn't seem like he's concerned for her well-being at all. Yeah, and I, I thought this made sense. Like, he, he like, runs the school where he prides himself on the, having the best musicians in the world, and now suddenly his, like, superstar shows up without her hand. Like, until we discover later that he's a very bad person, I was like, that's a selfish, but maybe not unreasonable reaction yeah. to have. Um, and then it goes pretty off the rails. When do we see the uh, the rewind to Charlotte doing the poisoning? Okay, so we, we see we see the rewind, I think, as soon as she starts to chop off her arm. Okay. I think that we, we missed that a little bit right now. Okay, so there's, there's a cool effect where when um, something crazy happens and you don't know why it happens, the movie like rewinds very quickly back to this is where all of that started. I do want to say that my experience with uh, like Gender bent gender genre bending. Wow, I've been doing a lot of writing for Salty <laughs> this week. Um, my experience with like genre bending horror made me think at first that we weren't seeing a rewind and a replay. I thought that we were seeing like this is what could have happened, but, but this is what actually happened. Yeah. yeah, like I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, funny games," yeah. and then yeah. like that wasn't what happened at all. It was actually just a rewind to show us from a different point of view. Yeah. Um, so then Lizzie goes to Um Is that where Charlotte? Wisconsin? Somewhere up in the, like, northern Midwest. First, Lizzie thinks that she's still going to be accepted back into the school. Right. She thinks that she's going to be allowed to live there, um, because this is her family. These are the people that, I mean, she's grown up with, and for some fucking reason, even though she's an adult, she still lives there and is trained by this guy, because I I guess it's more like, not a halfway house, but it's like a weird artist commune, and this guy's in charge of it, which is not how it was initially described. Um, And she finds out very quickly 
that because she does not have a hand, she's useless and she yeah. is taking up space and he needs to fill that space with a new prodigy and he tells her that she cannot live there. Yeah. So she goes and flips out and is like, all right, I'm going to go get my revenge and this is going to be the remaining 40 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be her getting her revenge. But no, she goes and tases uh, Charlotte and S- kicks the crap out of her. Steps on her face. Yeah. And then we see her back at the school and Anton and Paloma pull up in their car, probably from a concert or a very nice dinner because they seem like those kinds of people. Yeah, they're Massachusetts <laughs> uh, rich white people. Yeah. Um, and Lizzie is like, hey, I have Charlotte in the trunk, so now you can have her. You can't have me. I don't have a hand, but Charlotte is just as just as talented. Can I please stay because I brought you your your prodigy that you can use? Yeah. Um, and weirdly enough, they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and they take her out of the trunk and they bring her inside. Yeah, at the very least, this is an unexpected thing where like, they let, um, they sort of let Lizzie stay for now. Um, and they, cause they want, they also want to get their revenge on Charlotte for chopping off Lizzie's hand. Um, and then things get weird. Even weirder. Like, they are, uh, Anton and Charlotte are having a normal conversation. And then Charlotte is like, oh, I was saving her from you because you're a sex creep. And Anton's like, what? And then, like, his face turns, and you're like, oh, no, he yeah, is. he really is a sex And creep. his face goes from, like, ha, 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 how silly, to, like, serious face, and then they have a fight, and then she wakes up in a, like, very nice red dress with her hair done up and her, like, up, makeup done on this special stage that had been mentioned previously in the movie. Right. Where you go to play the cello, and you have to play it perfectly, um, or they'll do a sex crime to you. Um, that part wasn't mentioned before. It was just the special cello stage before. Yeah, I, we find out when they are having their conversation and she tells him that he's a sex creep that specifically this room is where the the test for the perfection would be yeah. done. You have to give us the perfection, which is a fun movie way of saying that you do the cello very good. And just, oh, and just fun fact, there are also two other male teachers uh, oh, right. who we see only really at the beginning of the movie and then we see them doing like some teacher stuff, but we don't see them uh, talking very much, who pop up in this, like, also, they will sexually abuse you, too. I yeah. think maybe this needs, like, trigger warnings at the beginning of the yeah, episode. Yeah, I'll put it on the, okay. the, um, <laughs> the page, the yeah. episode info. Um, um, I definitely did forget to mention it in the episode, though, so maybe I'll record something. Just real fast. Like, yeah. hey, just a heads up. Um, uh, the, yeah, those two guys, I thought, in the Shanghai place were implied to be a happy gay couple. I thought so, too. They were no, they actually perform sex crimes on children if they don't play the cello well. Yeah, so. um, this movie goes pretty hard in a way that I didn't expect. Um, really hard, really suddenly is what it feels like. It, it yeah. felt a little, a little bit similar to the ending of Hereditary, where you're like, right. everything has been like, even though things have been crazy, things have been quiet enough where you've kind of been able to process it, and suddenly it's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Actually, there's a ton of fucked up shit. It's happening now it was happening before it's gonna happen again yeah. like yeah that that this it, it just like okay so she plays the cello and she does uh one missed note and it has a very good Gideon stop 
Kitty, and you have to be yeah. quiet. It does a very good visual effect where the whole screen shakes when she misses the note, and it's, like, right towards the end of the piece. And it, it's zoomed in on Anton's face, and you see him flinch at exactly the moment the camera shakes. Yeah. And, and his face falls. It's a very smart thing, because an audience is not going to recognize a missed note, because that's how music works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they start to, like, the sexual menace dial gets, like, turned up, um, and Lizzie's like, I'm gonna start the sex crime party off here good with the stump where my hand used to be. Um, and then just before they get there, the two other guys drop dead, and Lizzie and Charlotte start making out, and then (laughs) we get a rewind. Yes. And we get a rewind much farther back than I anticipated, all the way back to Lizzie, uh, doing a home invasion on Charlotte, where she tases her, kicks the crap out of her, puts the boot over her mouth, and then takes the boot off and sits down and is like, you're right. Um, Because then we get another flashback, not a rewind this time, to after she chopped her hand off, um, Charlotte explains to Lizzie, even though she's, like, high as balls and just chopped her own hand off, like, I did this because that uh, music school we belong to is actually a child sex cult. And Lizzie's like, oh, okay. Um, So she came back here and they make their plan in Charlotte's living room to go get their revenge. Yes. Um, and then it goes back to the present. Um, they get up and they're like, alright, now it's time to go go get Anton. And it zooms into Anton getting ready to go and perform the sex crime. And his wife walks into the room. And at first you're like, oh, she is also poisoned and ill. Um, and she falls over and you see that there's actually a knife in her back. Yeah, I was, um, like, as soon as I saw the, um, the way she was walking, I'm like, ooh, she's gonna turn around and have, like, an axe in the back of her head or something. I loved the fact that she had been stabbed in the back. I thought that that was a really great like very literal take on the fact that like you see at some point during this entire thing that Charlotte is begging her specifically you can't let this happen anymore because like she's a woman and she's in this situation where like she has also been brainwashed and she is allowing these young girls to be abused. And there's always that idea that like you, you want to think that you level with another woman even if she's been brainwashed. Yeah. You want to think that because you're both you're both women and you both have experienced abuse, most likely, that, like, if you just look them in the eye and you say, like, you have to understand that they will. And it's almost like she is backstabbing all of these young girls that she is bringing into this sex cult and allowing this thing to happen. Did you catch Lizzie or Charlotte's line about Paloma being, like, completely wasted on drugs, though? Yes. I guess the uh, thought is that she's been, like, abusing painkillers because of this lifestyle being mm-hmm. so psychically torturous to her. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting, like, curve as well. Like, she's in on it, but she's, like, not feeling good about being in on it. Um, unlike Anton and uh, Theus and Jeffrey, Those I think. two other guys. Yeah, those two other guys. They're all, uh, they're, like, all gung-ho about it. Uh, racist slang? I don't know. I've never thought about that before. I'm gonna look up gung-ho real quick. Uh, this movie gets um, pretty cool crazy at this point, I think. I feel like um, that's, like, the fifth time that you've said that. <laughs> it, like... <sighs> <sighs> they... So, you're like, alright, here they go. They're gonna murder Anton. They have a whole yelling fest with him. He still is convinced that he needs to do this because he needs to create perfect musicians, and the oh, only right. way... We missed, to- we missed one major thing during Charlotte's concert 
Oh, he, girl. Yeah, he says, like, he brings out the new young student who's, like, 10, and he's like, you know what's gonna happen if you mess up? Um, it's gonna fall on her. Um, and then she messes up, and he just sends that girl to sleep, and he's like, why would I do that? That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. He says she's she's not a good enough musician yet to have to be abused for not being perfect, <laughs> yeah, is it's, his reasoning. Like, it's real crazy logic that he has, if you can call it that. Um, but then they get in the big fight, the big final fight, and the, like... This has not been a particularly gory movie mm-hmm. up to this point. We do see a couple flashbacks of Charlotte's uh, suicide attempt from when she was like had to leave the school at first, and we see a little bit of the hand chop off stuff. At this point, it's like some of the most upsetting violence I've seen in a movie. I guess mostly because it just comes out of nowhere, but also because it's yeah. not in a movie that is otherwise violent in such a cartoonish way. But Anton puts a knife fully through. Lizzie's Charlotte. Charlotte's right arm. I didn't pay attention to which arm it was, and I know that I should have. Her right arm. Okay. Because, yeah, because she'll still have the right arm, and Lizzie still has the left opposite. She'll still have the left arm, Lizzie still has the right arm. She puts it through her, Anton puts a knife through her right arm, which is bad enough, but then drags the blade yeah. all the way down to the elbow. To the point where you can, like, see through her arm. Yeah. It just totally opens it up. It's wild. Um, And then, like, then he gets bashed over the head. Um, and the fight ends there, and we cut to back in the perfection room. Um, Charlotte now is missing her right arm up to the elbow. It, like, had to be amputated because of how badly damaged it was in that battle. Um, Anton is missing all of his limbs. And also his mouth is sewn shut, and his eyes are sewn shut, so his only... Oh, his eyes are sewn? Yeah, his eyes are also sewn shut, so the only, um, sense that he has is his ears. Um, and so Lizzie and Charlotte, each with their surviving arms, sit down at the cello chair together and play The Perfection. And that's the end of the movie. The end. And then the credits roll. And then you sit on the couch with your mouth hanging open. Because the last ten minutes were Oof. an accelerated amount of violence and gore. And just, like, the breaking of all of the tension that's been building up over the film. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Gung Ho is a low... It's low from Chinese, but not in a racist way. But it does come from the military, so take from that what you will. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it's a real crazy movie. I agree that much like Hereditary, the like last ten minutes really amp up in intensity. It doesn't feel like, I guess hmm, I guess the arm getting cut through would be equivalent to uh, spoilers for Hereditary. Um, Tony Collette cutting her head off when she's floating above the mm-hmm. attic. God, I should rewatch that yet. I do not remember that part. Oh, like, one that's of the most important part. The scariest of the movie. part of yeah. the movie. Um, I've been like trying to convince myself not to rewatch it. But it's on Amazon Prime. We can I watch know. it for free. Should watch that movie. in our home, oh, and then we'll ruin our home. Yeah, and <laughs> we'll have to leave this home, <laughs> burn it down. Um, I liked this movie, but I feel like if it becomes popular. 
her, the discourse around it will be insufferable. I agree. I, on a little bit of a different note too, I enjoyed this movie, but for whatever reason, I hate the fact that they didn't kill Anton. I wanted them to form the perfection for themselves and not as a, like, we're going to force him to listen to it as payback while he's like this horrible, like, wanting to be dead person. Um, I think it would have been fun if it ended on them playing a bad note, like, on purpose. Yeah, like, forcing him to hear them play badly. Yeah, Yeah, I think a stronger ending would have been them in concert together playing uh, one cello. I mean, I think that that would have changed the entire tone of the end of movies, so I definitely think that this was probably... The director's vision was that he wanted to end the movie with feeling disgusted. Yeah. And he did did that very well. Yeah, this is, as far as I can tell, the first time he's directed his own script. He mostly directs TV episodes, Mm -hmm. and he did not direct his episode of, or he did not write his episode of Twilight Zone. Um, like, I'm looking at filmography. Okay, I guess some of, yeah, there's some movies in here. Oh, maybe it it looks like he did a bunch in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, and then it's just been in the, like, 2010s that he's almost exclusively done television. Um, Richard Spencer again. I don't know any of The Matador, Oxygen, The Hunting Party. Uh, he was an actor in Scotland, PA. Like, he's, it's weird. Um, let's see what he wrote. He wrote The Perfection. Okay, he wrote all of his earlier movies, but then, so this is his sort of return to directing his own scripts, um, and it feels like the type of project that a director keeps, like, on their back burner for a while, like, waiting for the right cast or the right producer. Um, it was also interesting that it's a Miramax release, um, considering the content. I don't know who runs Miramax right now, but that was the Weinstein's company. Um, I know that everything was put on the back burner. Yeah, I didn't know that they were doing anything anymore. Um, let's see. Who owns... Miramax was sold by Disney to Film Yard Holdings. This was in 2005. Okay, so they haven't owned it since 2005 anyway, and the company is now currently owned by B-In Media Group, which is a global sport and entertainment network <laughs> based in Qatar. Okay. So it's owned by some kind of, like, Middle Eastern media conglomerate, which is not what I expected when I was looking up Miramax. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I didn't know that Miramax was still doing releases at all. Um, and in fact, if you look at their filmography, uh, oh no, that's just for Miramax family, who distributed a couple Pokemon movies. No, they still do movies regularly. Um, yeah, this, this one was weird. I think it's right along the lines with Netflix's output, though. It felt a lot like a good version of Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, I think that it um, it commented on the industry that it was uh, trying to represent in more interesting ways. I think that the characters themselves were extremely, I don't know, I found the two main characters to both be extremely likable. Yeah. Even, even when I thought one of them was just so jealous that she would make somebody cut their own arm off. I still found her likable. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing about Allison Williams is she is so charismatic mm-hmm. that you could have her be um, a crazy revenge lady or part of a racist body snatchers cult, and you're still like I trust her. Oh, a that Allison Williams, yeah. like I, the actual like turn in Get Out, I didn't believe it. I didn't like want to believe it 
until like she does like she doesn't give the keys over. And even then, I'm like, was she tricked? But then when I later when we see her like browsing the NCAA like top basketball players, I'm like, oh, she is the bad guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's really charming. She's really good. Um, she's the best character on Girls. Don't add me. Um, and Logan Browning, I didn't know from anything, so it was nice to see her. She did a lot of like children's TV in the early 2000s, like Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. It's it's a weird movie. I don't I don't know. Like I feel like it wants to have a lot of like depth to it. I think that maybe the directing could have been a little um, more deliberate. Mm. Like there were, I think the the parts of the movie, like the images that come back to my head were the most deliberate parts like when she's eating the um the concert yeah and when the like side view when she's whispering at the concert mm-hmm. and we see like the outline of her mouth and yes. tongue yes that and, was uh, all like really strong and i mean the part with the knife like all of these like yeah. really really deliberate frames with like the, the sound um existing so like maybe with the the image like when you hear the sound of the knife coming in the air or you hear the spoon hitting the congee or you hear the smack of her lips when her tongue's out of lips. Yeah. Those were all portions of the movie that I wish I had seen more of. I feel like that would have made the movie feel a little less like a grindhouse film at a point. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely one of those movies where I think that it's good. I think that the message is interesting, but the more I think about it, the less depth I think it has. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think part of that comes down to the fact that there was not enough intentionality in the images yeah. being crafted. And also, I think that it held our hand a little too much through the plot. I think if all of the rewinds had been eliminated, it might have been a stronger movie. I mean, I think that we picked... I mean, I called I called the part where she gave her the ibuprofen as soon as she swallowed the ibuprofen. Everything that happened like, in oh, the movie, yeah, we predicted right before it happened. Um, and so, as a viewer, I didn't think it was necessary to go back. I didn't even need to know what kind of medication she had given her. We found out that it was her mother's, like, dementia medication medication or something. I I didn't need to know that. I saw her give her pills. I saw her wash it down with vodka. Okay, she took something that you're not supposed to take with vodka. It's making her hallucinate. I got it. We also, like, didn't we didn't even mention through our run-through about Charlotte's mother, like, being sick and her having to take care of her and how much, like, that keeps getting flashed back to because it ends up not really being important Mm -hmm. to the plot. Like, she just had to leave the school for some reason. Well, I kept trying to, like, figure out what her timeline was because we kept also seeing her suicide attempt and I kept being like, okay, so she was with her mom and then she tried to commit suicide after her mom died, before her mom died. How old was she when she did it? And then at the end, she pulls off a wig and has short hair underneath. I think that the implication, we were supposed to think as soon as she got kicked out of the school, she tried to kill herself and got admitted into a psychiatric hospital. But actually, she left the school, the 10 years taking care of her mother passed, then mom died, suicide attempt, uh, locked in the mental asylum because they shaved her head to do the shock therapy. Can I just say one thing about that? Yes. Really quickly. So when she pulled her wig off at the end, that was one of the only moments in the movie where I had, like, the biggest eye roll because, like, you can just be a woman with short hair. It's okay. Like, she could have shown up and had that cute little short pixie cut that she had underneath and no one would have been like, you had to have your head shaved because she went to a mental hospital. Plus, Anton Um, and Paloma styled her hair when they put her in that dress. (laughs) How did they not notice it was fake? Well, there were so many portions in the movie. I, I had short hair, 
my entire life, and I was also in theater for 10 years, and I had to wear a wig in shows where I had to, like, pull it off, and there were moments in the movie where I was like, she couldn't have been wearing a wig when she had that braid in her hair. Like, you guys yeah. don't understand how it works. Like, when they had to, like, remove her shirt and then put a dress on yeah. her, how? You- yeah, that was just, that was unnecessary. They could have either... Unless Lizzie did all that. <sighs> So she took the wig off of her. And but also, like, they, they had sex and slept together in a bed all night and were totally and she had nude the and wig her wig was on time. and totally straight. Like, yep. it just seemed like an unnecessary plot point. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I don't know if it was because the actress herself didn't actually have short hair and they didn't know how to deal with it, but, like, I felt like that was a bit clumsy. Yeah, Allison Williams is not wearing a wig throughout most yeah, of the movie. That was in really... fact, I think the short hair might have been a wig for her. That she had to wear a wig over the top of. It was yeah. just a little bit much. It That's little, it. That was really the only part of the movie where I was completely like, this is this is where something clumsy has like made its way to the final cut because no one really talked about how to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was supposed to be the reveal of, like, that's when her her breakdown happened, and the suicide attempt was not over her uh, getting kicked out of the school, or her mom dying, but of her coming to terms with the fact that she was uh, suffering abuse in not, the school. Not to focus on this too much. <laughs> Let's but, focus on but it. But also, when she reveals it, she reveals it like she takes off her wig in front of Anton, and she's like, look at this. And, like, I don't know if, if I were Anton, I wouldn't be like, oh, you're hair is short, which means that you must have had a breakdown and had shock therapy, which put you in the right mind to understand that you were abused. Like, that just like, didn't seem... I understand that it also had to function as a reveal to the audience. Anton wasn't it, watching the yeah, movie. Like, he didn't he, see all those flashbacks. He, he was probably like, that's so weird. Like, why were you wearing a wig the whole time? I just... It just was so unnecessary. Yeah. Like, because it's not just like she casually takes it off and tosses it aside. She's like staring him in the eyes as she removes... Like, and she has hair now. Like, if it was still shaved... If it was even, like, just, like, a very short buzz cut, I feel like that would have been a little more like, oh, something happened. I can still see the marks on your head where those little things were. But it was just, like, a cute pixie cut. It yeah, just didn't. it was really bizarre choice. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. As soon as it happened, it was, like, a split-second thing. But because of, like, how how into people's hair I am from having a shaved head for so many years, I was like, no, no. So, who's the editor who let this through? Like, during the movie, I yeah. had this, like, moment. It, like, caught me, like... Like, my brain couldn't let go of it. And it's, like, after everything happens, too. Like, just before they're about to perform again together, right? Something. It's maybe before they start fighting. I think she might have the short hair on when he cuts the short hair on. She might have the short hair when he cuts through her arm. I, for some reason, in my mind, she already has the black dress on when she takes the wig off. I have no idea. I can't remember. I just <sighs> remember it being the, really the only thing in me that just outwardly bothered me. It seemed really lazy. Um, What's the scary? part of this movie to keep with the tradition of this show. I knew that the bugs in her arm were a hallucination. Yeah. Um, but when I saw though. her skin thing, that like set off some kind of deep-seated like, no. It's no. from how big of a fan you are of 1999's The Mummy. I knew that you were going to bring up The Mummy <laughs> because of that scene in The Mummy, which we watched at my grandma's house every time we went to visit her when I was younger for whatever reason. It's the only VHS grandma zone. I used to be so horrified of getting bugs under my skin and I also thought that like if I left the curtains in the bathroom open at night the mummy would come for me <laughs> so like, all of that just that imagery and oh, then that little, that childhood fear and then seeing it happening again in a movie that I was watching as an adult legitimately like hit on some childhood like nope 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 no thank you 
I think for me, um, I mean, the arm part I mentioned, which yeah. I never want to see in a movie, but, like, I'm gonna pick a thing that's scary that I enjoyed about movie, uh, which is the whole hangover sequence from, like, waking up hungover to chopping hand off is just so intense, and it constantly builds, and Logan Browning is, like, acting her little took us off. She's doing an amazing job, like, selling it. You believe that she's unbelievably hungover. She's about to poop all over this bus. I was about to say, I know that you thought the shitting herself part was also very funny, it's but so that was funny, that's probably it's so the second scary. scariest part yeah. for me, because, like, I wanted to cry for her that entire scene. Yeah, that reached level... It's like, I've never... I can't think of another movie that skirts the line so deftly, like, that very thin line between horror and comedy, as that scene did for well, me. Well, like that's like a livable fear. Like, that's a fear that, that you're going to go somewhere that you don't recognize, you're going to get sick, and you're going to be put in a position where you are in a small group of people and can't get out. Yep. That's something that could happen to you where you don't end up being murdered at the end, or having a ghost come get you. Like, yeah. that's just a very, very possible thing. Yeah, it's like, um... The Darren Aronofsky movie Mother, which you have to pronounce the exclamation that point, uh, has a lot of moments like this where it just like escalates so far beyond what you're expecting and just feels like an anxiety dream mm-hmm. in a way that this whole hangover sequence did. And I, I liked that aspect a lot, even if I found it simultaneously hilarious and terrifying. Uh, any final thoughts on the perfection before we move into plugs? Um, I'm excited to see more horror, Mr. Director. Yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah. I do want to watch that Kid President episode of the Twilight Zone now. <laughs> I would, I'm hoping that we see more, like, interesting storylines like this from the director with maybe a little, um, a little bit of, a, like, strong, stronger directing, uh, focus. Yeah, I'd like to see him direct a movie from a stronger script. Yeah. I like to see collaborations from really strong writers and really strong directors. I mean, when this director was strong, he was really strong. There yeah. were points in that movie that were exactly what I want out of like a contemplative horror movie. Um, yeah, it's it just ends up leaning a little too far, like you said, into sort of the grindhouse mm-hmm. excess. Like I don't know, the, it's it's missing that that knows what that I don't know what um, that as the French say the I don't know what <laughs> um, that that I think makes a movie like I could lay out for you why Hereditary is one of my favorite movies, why Paranormal Activity is one of my favorite movies, like, pretty succinctly. I don't think that I could lay out why this one didn't do it for me. It's, yeah. like, harder to to figure out. It's, like, a million... It's death by a thousand cuts rather than, like, one thing that's wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, I totally agree. It, I was super excited for it. I was expecting it to kind of, like, enter my, my little bag of, like, these are the horror movies that I never want to see again, but I'm going <laughs> to tell everybody that they absolutely need to see it. And this one I would feel a little weird recommending people who aren't innately in horror. Yeah, I would, uh, like, I would recommend it to people, like, but, like, with caveats. Not the way I recommend Hereditary with caveats, where, like, 
like, I will recommend Hereditary to people, like, no warning, just, I only recommend it to people who I know. Yeah. <laughs> because I need to know already if they have Can suffered the types it? of trauma mm-hmm. that will make the movie, like, hard for them, and then I just will not recommend it, or say, hey, don't watch this movie. Yeah. Um, but with this movie, I would recommend it to, like, anyone who's into the genre, and also I would tell them, like, these are the things you need to know before you go in. Um, Anything else to say about it? That's about it. Okay, where can the people find your stuff? Um, You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at at a tender witch. I'm an illustrator, so... uh, And I also think I'm kind of funny, but Twitter doesn't think so. I don't have any followers. (laughs) Listen, I (laughs) have about half as many followers on Twitter as I do listeners to this show, (laughs) and the show Twitter has about a quarter that many, so... <sighs> anything else? Uh, Attenderwitch.com or anything? Uh, no, Attenderwitch.com is down right now because oh. I am preparing for the summer market season, so right. I need all of my stock. Uh, but if you want to buy from me in the fall, I'll have products listed at Attenderwitch.com in September. Mugs okay. and patches and junk. Oh, I guess if you're NYC local, you can still buy your paintings at Cult Party. Right. right. I have some paintings for sale at Cult Party We in mentioned Brooklyn. that on last week's episode. Yeah. Um, and also patches are available there, so you should just go there in general. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to Cult Party yeah. for all your witch needs. You can also buy some Leah's merchandise there. You can find me on Twitter. No, you can't. Don't find me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter at CreepyPodsta. Go to WeaponizedLanguage.com. Go to Mastodon to find me. Coolmemes.biz slash at Jeff. That is my own instance just for me. You can go message me on anywhere and uh, I'll send you an invite to the Discord of this show and my other show, Hack the Net. Uh, you can go join CreepyPodsta the fan group on Facebook. Uh, I feel like a lot of the discussion has moved off of Facebook and into the Discord. Uh, if you suggest things in the Discord or on the pinned thread in Facebook group, they'll get to me. That's probably the best way to record to, to get them to me. I think you can still email me at jeff at funtimes.online. I think that email address is still live. Um, and that's all we have to say. I don't have a quote to end this one with because it was not a written piece, but in fact, a movie. Goodbye. Goodbye.